from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. During those times of the civil rights movement, I think that we were very angry. Um, racism dominated our communities, our schools, our lives. For me, the absence of a father uh, taunted me for so many years to come, but I always knew that my mother, who always told us to be the best that we could be, she was she was that, that stronghold, and, and she worked her way from maid to porter to licensed practical nurse because she refused to consider welfare. Dr. Sheila Brooks, founder, president, and CEO of SRB Communications, LLC, an award-winning full-service boutique advertising and marketing agency based in Washington, D.C., and author of Lucille H. Buford and the Kansas City Call, Activist Voice for Social Justice. Anyone who knows Brooke knows she's a passionate person. She's passionate about minority and women issues and small businesses, the National Association of Black Journalists, and SRB Communications. According to a recent report by the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, Brooks' hometown, businesses owned by African-American women have experienced unprecedented growth over the past two decades. The Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City serves seven states of the Federal Reserve 10th District, which includes Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Wyoming, northern New Mexico, and western Missouri. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Dr. Sheila Brooks, founder, president, and CEO of SRB Communications in Black America. I would say that as an entrepreneur, particularly for women and particularly for African-American women, that there are so many times, and I saw that so early on in my career, and I can see it from time to time when I bid on and win larger contracts now with mm-hmm. Fortune 100 companies, and that is that I don't think that in so many large organizations that have contracts for women and minorities, if they really take us seriously. And, and, the, and that's tough because unquestionably the largest growing economic force in this world is women. It's an indication of the continuing culture shift for work and women. We have to be resilient in today's environment. We have to develop our own leadership brand. And as women, women in leadership roles, we make tremendous contributions to society. We're always working to ensure that, you know, the fundamental human and economic needs for our communities and our families and our children, we are working every day to make sure that these needs are met. In the spring of 2011, the face of Dr. Sheila Brooks was all over the Washington, D.C. area. The billboards was part of the Power Women of D.C. advertising campaign by the fashion company Jones, New York, highlighting five successful entrepreneurs and executives in their workplace. Brooks has more than 40 years of experience in the media and communication industry. She is a former television newscaster, reporter, and executive producer, Brooks is the founder of the National Association of Black Journalists Student Projects. She is the recipient of 40 National Tele Awards, a National Gracie Award, and inductee into the Civil Circle of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. What started out as a video production company 28 years ago 
SRB Communications has now grown into a full-service boutique advertising and marketing agency that specializes in multicultural markets. Recently in Black America spoke with Dr. Sheila Brooks. Dr. Brooks, thank you for taking time out of the afternoon. Thank you, John Hanson. I'm so delighted to join you today and all your listeners on In Black America. Give us a little background about yourself. It's been a while since we last spoke. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. And what was life like growing up back in Kansas City? Well, you know, John, we all, and in our age range, I like to call us seasoned, mm-hmm. We come from humble beginnings, and I did as well, came from humble beginnings. Um, I was born and raised during the 1960s civil rights movement um, in Kansas City, Missouri. So, you know, those were pretty tough times during that time. Um, I was raised by a single divorced mother, my sister and I, with other family around us. Uh, throughout that entire lifetime. But, you know, growing up um, uh, with a working-class family, um, growing up uh, in Catholic school systems in Kansas City, Missouri, it was those times, uh, I can say, were very uh, troubling uh, because of what was going on uh, with the Civil Rights Movement. Um, but we certainly uh, made it through because we we know that tough times don't last forever. Tough people do. Was there any particular moment or event that directed you on the path that you're currently on? I, you know what, John? Uh, it's interesting that you ask, say that. I think that my story is a story of determination and per- perseverance um, that goes back a long time before I became an entrepreneur, a documentary producer, and, and a journalist. And if there's any one person, it is my, it, or I should say it was my, my mom. Um, who raised two little girls, as I said, from the ages of three and one in a very impoverished neighborhood in, in Kansas City, Missouri. She she was a tough woman. She never had more than a grade school education. Uh, she was a courageous woman who, tired of picking cotton at a young age of 13 during the Great Depression in 1930, and she left her grandmother's farm in Mississippi in search of a new life, new beginnings in Kansas City, Missouri, because her mom passed when she was seven years old, um, and she didn't see her father again until she was 40, until 40 years later, and she saw him a year before he passed away. So I believe that my mom's journey has become my legacy, has become my brand. For 17 years that I know of, my mom worked two full-time jobs, mopping floors, cleaning bathrooms by day, caring for the sick and dying at nursing homes by night. And many times when we didn't have anybody to care for us, she packed an overnight bag and she took us to her job. So during those times of the civil rights movement, I think that we were very angry. Um, Racism dominated our communities, our schools, our lives. For me, the absence of a father uh, taunted me for so many years to come, but I always knew that my mother, who always told us to be the best that we could be, she was she was that, that stronghold, and, and she worked her way from maid to porter to licensed practical nurse because she refused to consider welfare. 
I know that's right. How did you happen to do attend the University of Washington in Seattle? Well, you know, some of us always do, uh, I, I'd like to say, dumb things when we're young <laughs> and in love. And I was in college in Missouri um, and um, met a college um, friend that became a boyfriend, that became a husband at a very young age. And he, his, his career moved him to Seattle, Washington. That was during my senior year of college in Missouri. I did not want to, of course, be left behind, so I, I applied to the University of Washington to, in Seattle my senior year to see if I could finish my senior year there. And because I had come from Columbia College and the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, some of the best journalism schools in the country, I never lost a credit. So I mm-hmm. ended up there because I was – my now ex-husband and I um, traveled um, that way because of his career. What sparked that initial interest for journalism? I was always interested in reading and writing and speaking aloud. I remember from the time I was four and five years old, I would love to come home and present my you know, what we had learned in school that day to my mom, because she worked so much. That time that we spent with her was very, very precious. We would spend it talking about school. We would spend it talking about education. We would spend it reading the newspaper or watching the news. And for us, and particularly for me, I learned then the importance of education, uh, because we were... um, a bust across town to better schools, mm-hmm. um, and I, I learned that over the years, once I got into high school and started working on the school newspaper and writing a lot more, that I had always had that passion for journalism. But, you know, then, and because my mom uh, had limited education, it wasn't like she could, like, direct me and say, hey, this is what you want to do. You should be a newscaster or you should write for the newspaper or you should speak or become an anchor or anything like that. She, you know, in those days, as you well know, our uh, our older parents and others um, advised us to be teachers, nurses, stable jobs. Uh, but once I got into high school, I had an English teacher who really pushed me. Uh, to write even more and to get more involved in the school newspaper. I wrote stories for the school newspaper. I was a columnist for the school newspaper, and the same thing happened to me by the time I made it to freshman year of college. We met some 30-plus years ago when you came to (laughs) Dallas. Do you remember your first job? Well, first of all, I want to – I'm going to correct you for a minute. Okay. We did not meet when – I came to Dallas. We reunited when I came to Dallas. We met at the 1982 National Convention of the National Association of Black Journalists. Whoa. We did not reunite until I moved to Dallas three years later in 1985. I'm good at dates. You're good at dates. You remember that first job? I remember that first job. That first job was in Seattle, Washington. As a matter of fact, I was so pleased. Um, um, I know we're going to get to talk about my book in a few, so Mm -hmm. I won't go too much into detail with this. But I was in Kansas City, Missouri, my hometown, uh, at a book event earlier this year in the summer in July. 
and my first boss of my first job introduced me at that first at that event because she now works and lives in Kansas City, Missouri. But my first job was at KCTS TV in Seattle, Washington. In fact, John, get this: I had three jobs. <laughs> so the first job at KCTS, it started as an internship three months earlier. And that boss that I just told you about, her name was is Olivia Dorsey. Uh, I credit her with so much of my success. And that first job was as a production assistant. I eventually became an associate producer on her monthly public affairs show. And after three months in an internship there, I got the real paid job mm-hmm. to be a uh, production assistant on a uh, documentary series that was was occurring in the documentary unit I should say at the news at the station there. So when I got that first job full time August, you know, I told you I, I no dates, August 1978, I worked full time at the station. I worked part time on weekends at the Black Radio Station KYAC as a news anchor, and then I wrote for the weekly black newspaper, the Seattle Medium. And I, and I did all that for a couple of years because it was important to me at that time in my life, being in a major market in the late 70s right out of college, that I needed as much experience as I could get. And within a year, that production assistant job for the documentary unit became a reporter-producer job mm-hmm. for our cultural affairs unit. I understand. If just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Sheila Brooks, founder, president, and CEO of SRB Communications based in Washington, D.C., and author of Lucille H. Buford and the Kansas City Call, activist voice for social justice. Dr. Brooks, you recently received your Ph.D., and I assume your dissertation was on Lucille Buford? You assume correctly, John. I uh, received my Ph.D. in May 2015, and my dissertation was on Lucille Bluford, who is a, or I should say was a trailblazing, pioneering journalist. She was a journalist who first started as a reporter, became a managing editor, editor, and then finally publisher of the black newspaper, weekly black newspaper, I should say, in Kansas City, Missouri. Why did you want America to know about this trailblazer? There's a couple of things I really wanted America to know about trailblazer Lucille Bluford. One was that she was very significant in her activism to help establish the first journalism program at any HBCU in this country. It was because of her activism, Lucille Bluford, and then two, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the activism, and then two, it was really important to know about an African-American woman who was a journalist, editor, and publisher who fought against racism and sexism over her 70-year career in media and communications. So those were the two biggest, biggest things that I wanted people to understand and know. We always hear about Ida B. Wells. We know that. 1800s, 1870s or so, Ida B. Wells, 
famous trailblazing African-American journalist who was also an editor and publisher of her weekly black newspaper until they burned it down because she wrote, she was an activist who wrote about lynching. And then that's 1850s, 60s, 70s. And then 100 years later in the 1950s and 60s, we hear about Daisy Bates who helped walk the Little Rock Nine into the high school, Central High School, the all-white high school then, so that it could, um, they could integrate the high school. Well, it's interesting because in the 100-year period, we don't hear about the African-American women who were much like Ida B. Wells, much like Daisy Bates. And when I did my research while I was working, on my dissertation, I found that there were three or four other women who had done the same thing. One was Lucille Bluford. No book had ever been written about her. All kinds of stories and articles, no book. Charlotta Bass, uh, who owned the California Eagle in California, nothing ever written about her. Mildred D. Brown, who owned the Omaha paper, nothing written about her or Lucille Bluford. You obtained your Ph.D. Why was it important for you to achieve that level of education? I shared with you earlier, John, that my mother really instilled the value of education in us. And I have always believed in my life that I needed to be a lifelong learner, uh, no matter what I did. Um, It was always important to me that I got the best education possible but really important to me to advance my knowledge. And at that point in my career, when I decided to pursue a Ph.D. uh, between 2009 and 2015, I was changing, pivoting, reengineering my business. So I was changing the way I did business. For 18 years, I had run a video production company in downtown Washington, D.C., very competitive. We had grown very large. And then when the 2007 and 2008 recession occurred, it, I, had to, I really had to pivot and expand my offerings, which I realized needed to be in advertising and marketing, where I did not have that kind of background and experience. Also, the world was changing. The, the media was changing. Everything was social media, reality shows, digital and social. And in order for me to do that, I decided attending class for four years, one class a week, sitting in a classroom with the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings, <laughs> that I would learn a lot. And that's what I did. I was there that first day. I think you all received your, your, your avid editing machine when you were always doing the <laughs> video production. What led you to open your company with your husband, Rodney? Well, let me, let's be clear. Rodney Brooks has never been an owner in my company. It's always been a 100% Sheila Brooks. It's always been my company. Okay. I have to say that though Rodney Brooks has put a big stamp on this company over the years because he did give me the $15,000 to start the company back in 1990. So I sure appreciated that. <laughs> but just like just like a very shrewd financial businessman that he is, mm-hmm. uh, because he comes out of finance news 
40, 35 years in finance news, 40 years in the journalism business. Right. He also told me how to spend it, John, over okay. the next two years, okay? Okay. But I started a business because, I'll tell you, I was, I was working television news, top of my game in Washington, D.C., documentary producer, executive producer of a daily news show. And, you know, I guess I got... I got real disappointed in seeing how so many of us, us being minorities and women, mm-hmm. weren't getting promoted in the positions that we needed to be promoted in. And because of that, I made a decision that it, I could do one of two things. I could either move to a different station, but here I am in the media capital of the world. Okay. So um, if I move to a different station, then I'm going to have to, you know, kind of start all over and work my way up from the top at that station mm-hmm. after working for 13 years in this competitive business. And then I decided it's either that or I've always wanted to be in my own business. And I decided then that it had become very unhealthy for me to be in a newsroom where I could see that my immediate bosses weren't getting promoted, Mm -hmm. uh, that were people of color, into the positions that they deserved. So, and neither was I, uh, even though I was number three in the newsroom. So I always know when it's time to move on when things become unhealthy. That's because I always ask my God to do for me what I can't do. I've always learned how to accept the outcomes of situations, and I consider them to be God's will. And it was time for me to move on. Have you experienced any different dynamics being a female entrepreneur? I would say that as an entrepreneur, particularly for women and particularly for African-American women, Mm -hmm. that there are so many times, and I saw that so early on in my career, and I can see it from time to time when I bid on and win larger contracts now with Mm -hmm. Fortune 100 companies, and that is that I don't think that in so many large organizations that have contracts for women and minorities, if they really take us seriously. And, and, and that's tough because unquestionably the largest growing economic force in this world is women. It's an indication of the continuing culture shift right. for work and women. The, um, we have to be resilient in today's environment. We have to develop our own leadership brand. And as women, women in leadership roles, we make co- tremendous contributions to society. We're always working to ensure that, you know, the fundamental human and economic needs for our communities and our families and our children, we are working every day to make sure that these needs are met. And as women, we, we need to just take charge and lead. But that means that we have to be resilient. We have to continue to develop our leadership brand so that it, it, it creates an environment of opportunities and possibilities. Keeping up with your career over the years, understand that you are on a billboard in, <laughs> in New York City. What are some of the accolades you received thus far? Oh, my goodness. John, I have more than 150, probably <laughs> close to 200 awards in this office between here, my home office. And I'm going to tell you, I am, I am, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. I'm honored that we get recognized. And you notice I always say we because I can't do what I do without the best asset that I have in my business. Mm-hmm. And that 
that asset are my employees. They are the best asset, and I can't do that job and perform the quality work that our clients expect us of us and expect us to exceed. So I, you know, I, I applaud my team at SRB Communications because it's a it's a team effort every time we win an award. We have we have nearly fifty Telly awards. I have a couple of Emmy awards on my own and working uh, on teams in television from years ago. We get recognized for marketing and communications, for advertising, for our websites, and all those recognitions from all of these these different organizations, journalism, communications, advertising, and marketing organizations that honor and recognize advertising and marketing agencies like ourselves, they are they're just really, you know, validating the excellent work that we do. I know you got to run a couple more questions. How satisfied or the feeling that you get from assisting these young people of color at times, but young people assisting them on their journey to get where you are today? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm so glad um, that you asked me that question, John, because I think that mentoring young people is 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 the best thing that we, particularly as journalists and, and, and entrepreneurs, can do because mentoring relationships have a very positive, a powerful positive effect on young people that's going to take them throughout their not only their personal career but their academic career and their professional career. So it is important to connect young people to to their own personal growth and development, connecting them to their own social and economic opportunity. Uh, I am just truly blessed that I have worked with young people within the National Association of Black Journalists and other organizations um, over the years because it is very important to transfer our skills to those young people so they can take that, they can build on it, and then they become the next generation of journalists and entrepreneurs. It's it's very important, I believe, that we as 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 professionals that we give them that knowledge, that we connect with them and and to to help them grow. It's 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 so so important. So I always tell young people as well as us, uh, I always say that we have to be committed to helping others. Uh, and, and being committed to helping others is as strong as our commitment to succeed in our own lives uh, because it is important to touch the lives of other young people, to t- touch the lives of other women, because somebody brought us across, John. So right. we need to support the bridge that brought us across and pass our knowledge on, uh, pass our wisdom on to generations to come because if we instill in young people the solid values and principles the self-confidence and work ethic that our parents instilled in us, they then become the supporters and stakeholders of other visionary leaders. So I continue to invest in young people every day. I will be remiss if I didn't ask you about NABJ and your steadfast commitment to this organization over the years. I am so committed to the National Association of Black Journalists and have been for many, many years and will continue to be for many, many years to come. Dr. Sheila Brooks, founder, president, and CEO of SRB Communications, LLC, an award-winning full-service boutique advertising and marketing agency based in Washington, D.C., 
and author of Lucille H. Buford and the Kansas City Call, Activist Voice for Social Justice. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.